I love this quote um, by Mark Batterson. He said this. He said, some, have, some people have been Christians for 25 years. The problem is they don't have 25 years of experience. They have one year repeated 25 times. And, and so I'm going to make this statement right out of the gate. If you're faithful only, you'll end up frustrated often. I can say it another way. If you're only faithful, you'll be frustrated often. But I just like the way that, that emphasizes that if you're faithful only, you'll be frustrated often. So in other words, if you're just going to do the same thing every year, uh, every, every, uh, year after year after year, that's good in one sense. But if that's all there is, faithfulness is not, it's, it, faithfulness is not all it takes to follow Jesus. Now this sounds kind of counterintuitive because faithfulness is good. And the Bible tells us to, to be faithful. And we have many examples of Scripture where we're encouraged uh, to be faithful. One of the most famous passages is in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Uh, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted them with money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he went on a trip. He goes on a trip. He comes back. He tries to see where's everybody at. Skip down to verse 20. It says, the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more. The master said, you get, he said, Master, you gave me five bags to invest, and so I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So what we can see right out from that story is that success was not what was praised, it was faithfulness that was praised. So faithfulness is a good thing. We're encouraged to be faithful. The, the scripture says, faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. Uh, we have that, that line that, that we all want to hear at the end of our life, that well done, good and faithful servant. God celebrates faithfulness. God requires faithfulness. God promotes those who are faithful. But faithfulness is not the end of the story. And if you're faithful only then you'll be frustrated often. And I think many of you have felt that frustration before when you seem to be like, I'm being faithful. I'm doing what I should be doing. Uh, there's something missing. Now, I love to hike. How many of you guys like to hike? Anybody love to hike? I love to hike, and it's almost like an addiction for me because when I get out there and I start to hike, I'm like one of those people that has to know what's over the next hill, right? How many of you guys are like that? It's like, I will keep going. Okay, let me just put it in a different way. How many of you guys drive when you're on a trip, like on vacation or something? It's like a, you, you have the time, the estimated time that you're going to get there, and that's not an arrival time, that's a time to beat. How many of you guys are like that? Okay, that's, that's kind of, I want to see how long I can go before having to make a pit stop. I want to see what's over the next hill. And when I get on vacation with my family, sometimes I'll just have to admit, and, and they would probably be honest with you, that they really don't like to hike that much because they, we, I mean, I'm like ambitious with the hike and I want to go somewhere. And so as we're hiking up these mountains and stuff, they're like, I mean, they're kind of frustrated. They're just taking one step at a time. They're frustrated with it. And these are like, I mean, almost grown kids. Okay. So it's not like toddlers I'm taking They're They're like, I mean, one foot after the other, it's hard. It's like, whenever you're going up a hill, most of the time, because of the incline, you're kind of looking at your feet. And so it just, your head is down. And even though you're in this amazing environment, you're, you're, hurting, you're sweating, it's hard, and it seems very, very frustrating. And, and finally, you make some progress, but it's hard all along the way. 
And so they really don't like to hike, and I have to pretty much drag them onto a hike until we get to the top of the mountain. And sometimes that's what faithfulness is like. It's like you are just, I mean, one step in front of the other. You're not really paying attention to the view. I mean, you're doing what you should be doing, but it's frustrating because it's hard. It's one foot after the other. And you know you're making progress, but you don't really pay attention to the progress because you're having so much pain. It was like when I I went to Montana and I was uh, doing a big hike by myself in grizzly country with all this warnings on, you know, grizzly bears will eat you, don't hike alone, you know, bring bear spray, all this sorts of stuff. And so I did, uh, I hiked alone. (laughs) I went up there and and I got to this certain point. I'd been hiking for miles. Hadn't seen anybody for miles. And I went to this extremely steep part of the trail for a long time. And I mean, it's like, I mean, it felt like it was 90 degrees. And it was like going uphill. And I was so worn out that I got to this certain point where it's like, I don't care if a bear eats me right now. I'm done, you know, I don't care. Because it was just one foot after the other. And sometimes that's what faithfulness can be like. But just like in, in hiking, once you get to the top, how many of you guys know there's more to the story? There's more to experience. There's the view. And, what, and, and as much as frustration as they have trying to get there, something completely changes when they get to the top and especially on the way back down. And pretty soon we find ourselves having an amazing amount of fun. And so I want to just take you, we were looking at some of our vacation clips, and I don't want to take you to our last vacation, because we, we were going up this hill, and they were frustrated, and I'm pulling them basically up the hill, but then on the way down, I wish I could just show you all the video of all the stuff on the way down, but I will show you just a couple clips. Now, the first clip here, just look over my shoulder and watch my son carefully. Let's watch. <laughs> just kind of wait for them to come down, because this might be... <laughs> <laughs> that was not intentional. <laughs> Just kind of wait for them to come down because this might be. <laughs> Leap it. No, he's going to get yeah, stuck back know. there. You're going to get stuck. <laughs> So it's like that all the way down. I, I say that because we laughed and laughed and we watched that over and over again. And, and, and you know, I, I know maybe it's not as fun for you guys like watching somebody else's home videos, but for us, we had the greatest time watching that. And that's what it was like all the way back down. But if all you look at are just the, the one step in front of the other, then guess what? You're going to be frustrated from time to time when it comes to following Jesus because faithfulness is not all it takes to follow Jesus. And, and many of you guys have experienced that before. You, you're like going through a rough season and you're like, God, I'm faithful. I'm doing everything that I need to be doing, right? I mean, I'm taking one step after the other. And, and where are you at, God? Where, where are you at? Isn't there more to it than this? And I'm telling you, there is more than just that. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Ruth And this book, it's a short book, it's got four chapters to it, Uh, but some people will say this is one of the greatest stories that have ever been written because of of just what it is, and as we get into it, you'll see why. It's a beautiful story, it's one of the best stories of all time, 
And as I was thinking about what to title the series, I kind of went through a lot of things and trying to figure out what's the theme running through this. And, and I thought of that song that we just sang, that, that reckless love of God, there's no mountain he, he won't climb up, there's no shadow he won't light up, no mountain he won't climb up. The overwhelming reckless love of God for us is like this theme that runs through the story of Ruth. And we see reckless love happening between people and between, uh, and you just see it all throughout the story. It's a thread that runs all the way through. Now, when we talk about reckless, we don't just mean careless. In fact, we, what we're talking about is, is acting without having concern for how the consequences will affect you. See, God acted that way towards us. And even though we could, we could have rejected, we turned our back, we were sinners, that he acted anyway without concern of the consequences. And this is kind of a theme that we've got to pick up in our love for one another. Because so many times we're trying to, uh, we will only love people as long as we get something back in return. And that's not the love that God talks about and the love that we see demonstrated in this story. And so right out of the gate here in chapter 1, we see one of the best demonstrations of reckless love. And here this, this prominent character in the book of Ruth, named Ruth, we see her having this reckless connection and reckless love for her mother-in-law to say, I will stay with you, I will help you, I will follow you, no matter what. We see it in verse 16, it says, But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Listen to this. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. How many of you guys would think, that's pretty extreme, right? I mean, that's really extreme. That's Seemingly on the outset seems like a reckless type of love for someone else, a reckless type of, especially, I mean, we could think of that as far as like a spouse or, but this is her mother-in-law and this is like a reckless type of love. So let's look at the backstory of this chapter and the start of the book of Ruth. Let's watch. So the story of Ruth starts off like really bad. It's like a, a horrible start to a story uh, because there's a problem. And in Ruth chapter one, verse one, it says this. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem of Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So just imagine this, that the only way you can get food, it's not, there's no grocery stores, there's no food banks. It only comes from what you can grow out of the ground or from the livestock that you have and all of that is dried up and so they have a problem they can't get any food and so imagine what what would you do if there's no way to get any food and so they decide to roll the dice they decide to take their whole family to take a risk and to move to a foreign country and so that's exactly what they did they take off they go to a foreign country uh, they've got a couple of kids and a guy named Malon and Kilion and these are the kids uh, crazy names right so the story goes on these guys get married. Uh, everything seems to be going well until the story takes another twist, another turn. And basically all, well, all the guys in the story die. So Elimelech dies, Malon dies, Kilion dies. And so now it's just left with Ruth, Orpah, and Naomi. And so Orpah and Ruth are the daughter-in-laws of Naomi. And so it starts off with this big tragedy. And so 
Naomi over time hears that after several years that things are going well in the country that she used to live in. Things are going well back home and so she decides that she's going, she's got nothing left in this land. She's going to go back and, and back home where, where she's familiar. And so Ruth and Orpah though, they, they want to go with her. But Naomi rejects it. She says, no way, you guys have a life here. And in fact, we see that here in Ruth chapter 1 verse 10. It says, and they said to her, Ruth and Orpah said, no, we will return with you to, to you, with your pe- with you and your people. But Naomi said, no, turn back. Said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that you may become your husband? She's saying, listen, uh, I know you want to stay with me, but I can't, I have nothing to offer. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to wait around for me to get married and to have more kids. And then you're going to wait for them to grow up and then get married. She's like, no, your future is not with me. Your future is here. Uh, I, I have nothing to offer. And, and they said, and so she said, no, my daughters, for it, it's exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So here you've got these daughter-in-laws. They've been faithful. Ruth had been faithful. She, she checked all the boxes. She stayed with her mother-in-law until the moment when her mother-in-law decided to go back home. And, and her, Ruth's whole future was there in the land with, where she knew, where she had family and friends and connections. And she had done everything that she was supposed to do. And then she gets into this reckless love territory where she's getting ready to change everything. She's getting ready to leave all. And even Naomi, who was going to benefit from this, thinks this is just a crazy idea. And she goes on to say this whole thing of wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you die, I'll die. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And even Naomi thinks this is like a crazy idea. And this is where we enter into reckless love territory. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing that reckless love goes beyond faithfulness. What are we seeing? We're seeing that reckless love manifests itself in something that I call extreme loyalty. Reckless love manifests itself in extreme loyalty. You see, loyalty is the missing piece. Loyalty is the centerpiece of this whole story that we're looking at. Loyalty is what she had. It takes more than faithfulness to follow Jesus. It takes an extreme loyalty to follow Jesus. All right, so what is loyalty? Here's how I define loyalty. Point number one is this. Loyalty is faithfulness in task and allegiance. See, we think of faithfulness like, okay, I'm faithful in the task that God has put in front of me. I'm faithful, faithful in the task. Here's what loyalty is. Loyalty goes beyond faithfulness. It's faithfulness in task, in whatever you're supposed to be doing, but also in the allegiance of your heart. So you may be faithful right now, but I have a question. Are you loyal? And we can apply this to many areas of our life, and in fact, we will here in just a second. But there is a difference between faithfulness and loyalty. And I like to describe it this way. Uh, This week, or this past week, or maybe it was a week ago, we were out shopping. We went and to you know go to Zona Rosa, did you know a bunch of different stores, and so I'm out there shopping, which is not my spiritual gift, by the way. If you just wanted to know that, and so I'm there, and my wife wants to go into Bed Bath and Beyond. So we're in Bed Bath & Beyond, Bath & Body Works, whatever it is, whatever. I don't even know what it is. I just see something. It's got a bunch of smelly stuff everywhere. And so so we're in the Bath & Body Works or whatever it is, 
And we're, you know, everybody, you know, we had some people with us, they're, they're sniffing all this stuff and spraying all this stuff. And I'm, I'm kind of walking around, wandering around for a while. And, and it's obvious I don't belong here, but I'm faithful. I am there shopping with my wife, right? And so after a while, I'm just like, okay, it, it had a little candle, a, a candle store next to it, like connected to it. So I'm like, I'm going to go look for the candles. And so I go to the candles and all these scents, like lavender, whatever scents, and all, like a million different, different scents. And finally they come over there and we're looking at candles. I'm like, where's the mountain man candle? Where is the, where's the sawdust candle? Where is the, you know, where is the, the pine tree? You know, I mean, and, and I couldn't find any of that stuff. And so, so finally I, you know, the scripture talks about those who endure to the end. And so I endured to the end and made it out of there. And uh, she probably none the wiser, but I was faithful in task. But how I mean, you guys know my allegiance was not about what we were doing right there. I had no allegiance to what we were doing in that moment. Sometimes that's the way it can be in our life. And when following God, we can be faithful and we're being faithful, but yet our allegiance isn't to what God has called us to do. We're faithful in the task, but our allegiance isn't there. See, you can be faithful in your marriage, but not loyal in your marriage. You can do all the stuff you're supposed to do in your marriage and be faithful, and yet your allegiance is not there where it should be. You can be faithful to your family, but not loyal to your family. Because loyalty is faithfulness in task and your allegiance, meaning your heart, meaning you're all in. You, you can be faithful to the vision that God has for your life, to the calling that he's called you to, to your ministry, and not loyal to it. I mean, think about Jonah. He went, and eventually he was faithful in his task. He did what he was supposed to do, and after he gets all the way through the end of the story, he sits up on a mountain, and since his, he, he was not loyal to what God had asked him to do, his heart was that God would just burn up Nineveh. He had, done, he had been faithful, Right? How many of us have been faithful right now in what we're supposed to do, but our allegiance, our loyalty is not there? You can be faithful to church, you can attend church, you can serve, you can do all that and still not have your heart there or your allegiance or your all in. We can apply this to every area of our life. And the thing is, here's the thing about loyalty. You can't be loyal to everything. Because if you're loyal to everything, you're really loyal to nothing. See, loyalty is an exclusivity. It, it, it means that there are certain things in our life that get all of us. And so if you're just faithful in your walk with God or faithful in your marriage or faithful in your ministry, but you're not loyal in your marriage or in your church or in your ministry or your walk with God, then eventually, if you're faithful only, you'll be frustrated often. And you'll find yourself on this cycle of frustration. But God has something better for us. You see, here's the problem. Hypocrisy comes when there's a conflict between what you're faithful in and what you're loyal in. So in other words, you could be looking like you're doing all the stuff because you're faithful. But if your loyalty isn't there, guess what that's called? Hypocrisy. Because it looks like you love it. It looks like you're there. It looks like that's what you're all about. But the truth is you're not all about that. So that's where hypocrisy comes in. How many of you guys know, we don't want just a faithful marriage, we want a loyal marriage. We don't want just faithful friends, we want loyal friends. We don't want, it goes to every area of our life. So loyalty is faithfulness in task and allegiance. Now here's the second point. 
Loyalty requires permission to operate in your life and through your life. Are you allowing people into your life to be loyal to you? You see, Naomi kept pushing Ruth away until finally she allowed her in to be loyal. See, loyalty requires permission to operate in and through your life. I tell my kids this all the time, that accountability is always invited. You can never impose accountability on someone. Why? Because you can, and I just, from, this is from experience as a person and as a father and as a pastor and as a friend, that you can find a way around any accountability structure you set up in your life if you want to. I don't care what it is. If you set up with accountability, yeah, like we have all sorts of stuff that set up on our phones and all our, our computer, you can do all that stuff. But accountability is always invited because you will find a way around it. Accountability is always an invitation. You always have to invite it. So you have to do the same with people. You have to do the same with loyal people in your life. You, 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 you can't just have it imposed upon you. You have to invite loyal people into your life. You have to give them permission to speak into your life. You have to let people love you. You have to let people be loyal to you. And the same has to happen outward. Why do I say that? Because here's the truth. If you want to have loyalty in your life, if you want to have loyalty in relationships, if you want to have loyalty in your relationship with God, can I tell you how loyalty is really um, exposed or how you know it, you really have it? Loyalty is challenged or confirmed through disagreement. Let me say that again. Loyalty is challenged or confirmed through disagreement. So in other words, you never really know if you're loyal to someone until you disagree with them. You never really know if you're loyal to your church until there's a little disagreement. You never really know if you're loyal in your marriage until there's a disagreement. Because loyalty is really only exposed to be true or not based on disagreement. Because if you agreed all the time, you would have no reason to be loyal. But that's not how loyalty works. So loyalty requires permission to operate in it through your life. I saw this clip from Chris Valentin where he tells a story uh, about this happening in his life. And so I'm going to roll this clip. Let's watch. I was about eight years ago. Danny Silk came into my office and I had the door open. And he stood in the doorway and he said, hey, um, come talk to me in my office. And I said, okay. He said, hurry because I have 15 minutes before I have to run to the plane. I said, okay. So I, I walked in his office and and he looked really serious. And I'm like, usually we're kind of bantering back and forth. We've known each other since we were kids. So I, I go, what's going on? He said, well, listen, this is going to be a little rough because I only have 15 minutes. And, and Danny's usually, I, 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 I teasingly say, Danny can cut you with a sword and it's so sharp, you don't know you've been cut till you go home and bleed to death. <laughs> I can say the same thing. They're like, oh, he ran over me with a tractor. And Daniel will say the same thing. And the person's like, oh, Danny, he was, and I said, what did you say to you? Said, da, da, da. I'm like, that's what I said to you. So he's, he's very diplomatic, very wise and diplomatic. And so he said, you know, I, I, he didn't say the word diplomatic. He said, I don't have time to actually go through all the steps with you. So I just want to tell you what I'm thinking. And I, I feel like I need to say it before I'm gone on this two-week trip. I said, okay. He said, uh, you're arrogant, and your arrogance is like leaking out on people. 
I think that was his opening statement. <laughs> you know, you do work for me, right? What are you doing for a job next week? And I was like, okay. And then he, so I said, uh, okay. And, and that's not Dan's, Danny's normal mode, by the way. That usually comes like 15 minutes, and then you figure out, like, he just told you you were arrogant when you got home. You're like, did he just say I was arrogant? <laughs> and uh, I said, well, you know, obviously, uh, well, why do you think that? Like, what happened for you to say that? And he named three different people that I had a conversation with in which I was, like, he said, you know, when you talk to so-and-so, and two of them were speakers, and one of them was a, a staff person. And he said, he said, I was involved, I was there when you said this and this and that. And, and I immediately defended myself. I'm like, no, no, that's not what I was thinking. Like, you did what Bill just said. You misjudged my using your gift of discernment. And it's actually suspicion. <laughs> I didn't actually say that. I, I did defend myself, though. I said, no, no, that's not what I was, no, no, that wasn't in my heart, da, da, da. And he, so, you know, and I... And, you know, it took him about 10 minutes to tell me what those three stories and, you know, what he felt and what the Lord showed him, da-da-da. And it took me about five minutes to defend myself. And he stood up and he said, listen, I told you, you just work it out. I'm going. (laughs) I'm like, okay, we're going to, you know, you ever have this conversation, just crash the plane into the ground and walk out and like, no closure. I'm like, okay, I'll text you. That always, that's always fun. (laughs) You know, you get to guess the tone when someone's texting you, right? <laughs> and you always read the tone in it, the one you're in. I'm going to say this to him, so he must be saying that to me, right? That always works. Never try to solve a conflict through email, text. I, I should t- remind, I need to put it on the mirror because I do it all the time. It just gets worse. So he leaves, and I, and I, I go, and I, I know, Danny has a big place in my life. I mean, he's one of my wise counselors. I'm like, all right. And, I, and I'm, I'm driving home uh, about an hour later, and I'm driving home, and I'm, I really am hurting. I'm really hurting, and I'm like, wow. My friend thinks I'm arrogant. And I, I'm actually defending myself. I'm like, well, you know, he just needs to, like, get a life. You know, he doesn't understand, like... <laughs> Confidence always looks like arrogance to the insecure, you know? I got all these one-liners going through my mind, you know? You can spiritualize your dysfunction and it gets to stay. I mean, Bill said something like that today. So, you know, I go home and I'm working in my shop, but I'm not really thinking about anything except for what he said to me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's terrible. And I'm thinking about, I'm actually not thinking that he's right. I'm actually thinking about how to convince him he's wrong. And I'm having, you ever argue both sides in your mind? I'm arguing both sides of him. He's going to say this, and I'm going to say this when we sit down next time. I got a good point I didn't think of when I was in there because he got up too soon. So that night I went to bed, and I wasn't doing a lot of sleeping. I laid awake. I laid awake. I laid awake. And then I decided to pray like 3 o'clock in the morning. It came to that finally, you know. You ever do that? Like, I don't know why you just don't start there. I... And I said, Lord, you know, Danny has this issue with me. (laughs) I hate this, man. I hate having friends. (laughs) And the Lord said to me, um, the Lord said to me, if you don't trust someone more than you trust yourself, 
then you can't get out of deception because the nature of deception is you don't know you're deceived. Which is what I had taught the month before. <laughs> I'm like, that's a good word, Lord. Where'd you get that? From my message? <laughs> Got some intellectual property rights on that going on. I want you to know. The Lord repeated my words. And he said, you said that. So what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. And so the Lord said, do you trust Danny more than you trust yourself? I'm like, well, not at this point. <laughs> and, I, and then I just spent the next half hour just recounting the amount of times that he's helped me in my life, spoke into my life. And, you know, and he just reminded me, you know he loves you. You know that he would have not done that to hurt you. I'm like, okay, that's true. Doesn't feel true right now, but I'm sure it's true. And so... Um, about, I don't know, and maybe an hour went by and kind of wrestling with that. And then I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to believe he's right because I have to trust someone more than I trust me. This is exactly how it happened. Within 20 seconds of me saying that to the Lord, I instantly saw my motive, which was total arrogance. You know when that happens? You're just like, oh my, and then I started seeing a whole bunch more where Danny didn't know about. <laughs> How many have ever had that happen? And you're like, I'm a worm, I'm a worm, I'm a worm. <laughs> I, am, I am such a worm. Oh God, forgive me. So the next week we were in staff meeting and I apologized to the entire staff, told them what happened and asked them to forgive me. And I wrote a letter to both those um, guys that I had spoken to, uh, they were traveling speakers that were friends of ours, and I said, man, this came up in my heart, and, and there was actually two or three more messes I went back and cleaned up, and, and uh, but how many know you'll need someone in your life that in tough times you trust them more than you trust yourself, because we all get into these it's not just about you, sometimes you get in these things with your family, you're so emotionally connected, right? You don't, you don't even, you know what you would tell someone else, but you don't know what to tell you. And you need your faithful counsel, your proactive counsel to come around you and speak truth in your life. And sometimes what they're sharing with you doesn't feel true, but you're like, I've trusted this person for 30 years. I will certainly trust this counsel. It doesn't feel true, <laughs> but I bet it's true. I mean, that's good, right? It's good. But see, loyalty... It has to be given permission to operate in your life. When someone wants to be loyal to you, then you have to allow that to happen in your life. And I'll say it this way. I've said it this way before. But if you only submit to authority in your life when you agree, then you've never submitted to authority. If you only obey, let me say it a different way. If you only obey God when you agree, then you've never really obeyed. You've just simply done what you want. See, there are times in our life where God, he's being loyal to us, but see, loyalty requires a deeper level of involvement between us and the other person. I had this happen in my life a, a few weeks ago. One of the overseers of our church is a, is a guy that I allow to have permission to speak into my life. And so I was calling him up and I was saying, hey, I'm going through this and this and this. And, and uh, 
He began, I was looking for a word of comfort, you know. And instead, he came back and he, he was like, listen, this is what's wrong. This is what you're doing wrong. This is this. And he started listening to all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I was looking for a word of comfort. And now I'm just getting, just getting hit, you know. I mean, you guys have had that happen before, right? And I'm like, I mean, I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm hurting in the moment. I was already hurting when I picked up the phone. But then I was hurting even more. But then I got off the phone and I'm like, man, he was right. And God brought that verse to mind. It's Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I started to realize that this is a, this is a friend. I trust him more than I trust myself. That he, I gave him permission into my life, and that doesn't end when I have a disagreement. That's when it starts. When, when he challenge, see, loyalty is only, it's only confirmed when it's challenged or when there's a disagreement in our life. And so many of us, we think that people are not being loyal to us when there's a disagreement. But in fact, it could just be the very opposite. And, but we have to invite that into our life. And so I invited that into my life, and I said, God, I, 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 this is the, what I want. I want people to be able to speak the tough things to me, even when it's hard. And so... And that's why, you know that solitary confinement is one of the worst punishments you can ever have? If you put in solitary confinement, that, that's one of the worst punishments because God designed us to need people. God designed us to need people in our life. Brady Boyd says it this way. He says, encouragement puts courage into us. Without encouragement, most of us would quit. We all need friends that believe in us. Now, sometimes that encouragement or to put courage in us isn't always the things we want to hear. But I'm telling you, when someone is loyal to you in that way, and even in the tough things, when someone is loyal to you so that they'll say something hard for your benefit, not for their benefit, hang on to that person. Treasure that person because it's, they, it wasn't easy for them to do that. Invite that into your life. God designed us to need people, loyal people into our life. See, God designed us. He said, he said in the garden, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so whenever we're trying to work to be away from people, we're working against the way God designed us. We're working against the way God wants us to live. All right, number three. Here's the last one. When loyalty is activated, influence is the result. We see this, that Ruth was able to influence Naomi's life in a, in a huge way. And the reverse we'll see is true as we get into that. How many of you guys want to be an influencer to other people, an influencer to your kids, an influencer in this world? I think we all want to do that. Years ago, actually, I went in, in 1997, and I went back in 1999. I went to Barcelona, Spain on a missions trip a couple different way, times. We were working with some churches there, and, and I, I, was, I was just floored by some of the structures. See, you see we're, I mean, we don't have too many structures that are, I mean, a couple hundred years old here, but you go over there and there, you see all kinds of structures. So uh, one of, let's just put up one of the pictures here. This, I remember sitting in front of this cathedral. They say that, that uh, Columbus worshiped in this cathedral. I'm thinking like that's blowing my mind, you know? And I'm looking at how ornate it is. And I sat there one morning and I watched the sun come up as it was there. And, and, and I was just mesmerized by the architecture. Another, another picture that we saw or a building, this, this thing started, they started to build this uh, cathedral, I believe it's called the Sagrada de Familia, it's, uh, it started in the 1800s, and it's still under construction today, it's going to be completed in a, in a few years, I guess, uh, it's just an amazing work of art, the structure, 
another, another one uh, is the work of, of Gaudi, this artist, uh, architect that basically designed buildings that were made to, to look like they were alive or growing or something like that. And so I'm looking at all these structures and I started to just be mesmerized by that. And, and here's the thing. This is true in Barcelona, but this is also true in Liberty, Missouri, or wherever city that you are at. When you live in a city, you are inheriting someone else's vision, someone else's imprint, someone else's creativity, someone else's work. So all of us, the buildings that we see, the the way that that, uh, a city is designed the way that buildings are supposed to look, the way that streets are designed and the way they wind or don't, the street names, we're inheriting something of someone else's creativity and someone else's work and someone else's determination and someone else's dream, and we get to walk right into that. That's what it is. And so that was received all the way down in in Barcelona, but, but also here. I mean, a generation ago or a building that pops up over off 152 or whatever, it's somebody's creativity, it's somebody's design, they're passing it, and and it will be passed on to the next generation. In other words, we are getting influenced by something that's passed on to us, which means that because we're living in this city right now, that what we build, what we create, the atmosphere we set in the spirit, we get to pass on to somebody else. God has placed us here as a church and as a people, and he's placed you in your job, and he's placed you in relationships. You've received something, but you also have the ability to influence and to deposit something. So, so that when we leave this planet, and we, we get, when we die or we, whatever, that we've left something. The question is, what will we leave? See, loyalty, it, it, it creates an opportunity for influence, And we can leave a cathedral or we can leave a hot dog stand. (laughs) And it all depends on whether we're just being faithful or whether we are being loyal. Whether we're being loyal, not not just, I'm, I'm talking about to our city. I'm talking about to the calling that God has for our lives. I'm talking about to our families, to our kids. I'm talking about to the lost, to our mission. We can be faithful and we can check all the boxes or we can be loyal and be faithful in task and allegiance where a heart is also there. We got to get back to just this raw, like I'll follow Jesus stuff. <laughs> Wherever you want to go. Back to the, to the mountains. Like uh, I'll go over that next hill. I'm just addicted to following you. I'm not about a destination. I'm about the journey. I'm about following you. I, I, we were, uh, we had the opportunity to go stay at the Elms this week. My wife and I, we took some time and, and we stayed there and, and, uh, I've got some funny stories from that that I'm not going to share just yet. I'll save that for another sermon, but, um, but I, we, we were sitting there and I had this thought and I had this thought because if you go all the way back to 2006, to the summer of 2006, Beck and I, we were praying about what God had for us and we were praying and God was beginning to work on our heart to start this church. And we were there at the Elms. And at that time, we spent, I think, three days there. And we were just in prayer. And we were just seeking God. And by the end of that time, we had just confirmed that God had confirmed in our hearts that we will go anywhere, we will do anything, but he put the dream of this church in our heart. And that's what we walked away with. And so I was back there in that moment. And I, and I just, for a second, I got back into that feeling of what it was like in that moment. 
And I remember that moment being this total, God, I will do anything. God, I will go anywhere. It's not about checking boxes. It's not about going through the motions. It's about living the adventure that you have for me and for us and for what this city is going to experience. And it was all, all in. And I just felt like this, this reckless love or this reckless adventure in front of us. And we've got to see many, many stories and many, many changed lives and healings and set free and deliverance and made friends and all these things. But you know, if we're not careful, we can easily get back to just looking at one foot in front of us, right? We can do that in every area of our life. And I just want to call us back to that reckless love for Jesus because Jesus had a reckless love for us. Where we say, Jesus, I'm not just going to be faithful, but I'm going to be loyal. See, it's one thing to be faithful to Jesus. It's another thing entirely to be loyal to Jesus. It's one thing to be faithful to your call. It's another thing entirely to, to be loyal to that. And so I want to have uh, the worship team come back up, and we're going to receive communion tonight. And I just felt like throughout all of this series that we're supposed to receive communion together. And it's just kind of a reminder, again, that, that his love for us was so over the top Whenever we, we take this, this cup and it represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us, we need to be reminded of how amazing that is. And we need to ask God, even if we don't feel it right now, we just need to ask God to give us that amazement, that wonder again, that, like, like that first love again, that, that, that adventure with God. Whenever we take the, the, the bread or the cracker that represents the body, we need to just invite God into this moment and say, God, I'm going to trust that I'm going to meet you at the table tonight. That I'm going to have an encounter with you tonight. That you're going to work on my heart to break open those areas where I've just been faithful and, and help me to walk in to step into a new area of loyalty. Ruth said, and again, I'll read it again, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. We need to have that kind of attitude to Jesus. Wherever you go, I'll go. Whatever you say, I'll do. I don't care if it costs me everything. I'm all about this. I'm going all in. All in. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're gonna just trust that as we by faith come to the table and we take these elements of communion that something's going to happen on the inside of us. That maybe something will spark on the inside of us. Maybe just that expectation that God, I believe that what you've once did in me, you can do again. We, we see that Jesus did all of those things. He took bread. How many of you guys remember when Jesus took you? I, lo I love to walk through and think about this. When I, I was just that first love, that the grace that Pastor Aaron talked about last week. He broke the bread. There's some things tonight that has to be broken in us, that has to be broken off of us. And when we come to the table, we can just say, we can just invite Jesus to come and to do that. Remember, it has to have permission to operate in our life. Break those things free, Lord. 
And then he, he blessed the bread. How many of you guys have been blessed by Jesus? And then he gave, and we're gonna just as an act of faith, as we receive communion, we believe that all those things are gonna be happening in our life. We've been taken by Jesus. We've been blessed by Jesus. We've been broken, but we also are gonna be given. So would you guys stand up with me? I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna come and get these elements. There's tables behind you. There's tables up front. Take them back to your seat. And during this song, just receive communion right there where you're at with your family or by yourself. Just take a moment. God, we, we thank you so much for your presence in our life, for the reckless love for us. Lord, help us to be reminded of that in a way that goes beyond just head knowledge but comes back to our heart. Help us to to understand what that was like. God, give us even as a a moment right here as we come to the table. Let let chains fall off. Let fresh new wine come into a new wineskin tonight. Let people be set free. Let those who don't know you as they've heard this message of, of grace and your reckless love and, and how you died on the cross for our sins and how you took our place and you rose from the dead and we can, we can respond to that by following you and saying, yes, Lord, I pray even as they come to the table today that people will start walking with you even for the first time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's come and receive.